irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. You can support Sapphire Planet by visiting the online store at sapphireplanet.com. Welcome. Your journey is just beginning. You are now entering the Sapphire Planet. Sapphire Planet. The Beatles were an English rock band that formed in Liverpool in 1960 with John Lennon, Paul McCartney, George Harrison and Ringo Starr. They became widely regarded as the greatest and most influential act of rock the rock era. Rooted in skiffle, beat, and 1950s rock and roll, the Beatles later experimented with several genres, ranging from pop ballads to psychedelic and hard rock often incorporating classical elements in innovative ways. In the early 1960s, their enormous popularity first emerged as Beatlemania. But as their songwriting grew in sophistication, they came to be perceived as an embodiment of the ideals shared by the era's social-cultural revolution. From the 1960, the Beatles built their reputation playing clubs in Liverpool and Hamburg, Germany, over a three-year period. Manager Brian Epstein molded them into a professional act, and producer George Martin enhanced their musical potential. They gained popularity in the United Kingdom after their first hit, Love Me Do, in late 1962. They acquired the nickname The Fab Four as Beatlemania grew in Britain over the following year, and by early 1964, they had become international stars, leading the British invasion of the United States' pop market. From 1965 onwards, the Beatles produced what many critics consider their finest material, 
including the innovative and widely influential albums Rubber Soul in 1965, Revolver 1966, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band in 1967, The Beatles, commonly known as the White Album, in 1968, and Abbey Road in 1969. After their breakup in 1970, they each enjoyed successful musical careers. John Lennon was shot and killed in December 1980, and George Harrison died of lung cancer in November 2001. Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr, the surviving members, remain musically active. According to the RIAA, the Beatles are the best-selling band in the United States, with 177 million certified units. They have had more number one albums on the British charts and sold more singles in the UK than any other act. In 2008, the group topped Billboard magazine's list of all-time most successful Hot 100 artists. As of 2014, they hold the record for most number one hits on the Hot 100 chart with 20. They have received 10 Grammy Awards, an Academy Award for Best Original Score, and 15 Ivor Novello Awards. Collectively, including in Time Magazine's compilation of the 20th century's 100 Most Influential People, they are the best-selling band in history, with an estimated sales of over 600 million records worldwide. In 2004, Rolling Stone ranked the Beatles as the greatest artists of all time. It was March 1957. John Lennon then, age 16, formed a skiffle group with several friends from Quarry Bank School. They briefly called themselves the Blackjacks before changing their name to the Quarrymen after discovering that a respected local group was already using the name Blackjacks. 15-year-old Paul McCartney joined as a rhythm guitarist shortly after he and Lennon met that July. In February 1958, McCartney invited his friend George Harrison to watch the band. The 14-year-old Harrison auditioned for Lennon, impressing him with his playing, but Lennon initially thought Harrison was too young to join. After a month of Harrison's persistence, they enlisted him as their lead guitar. By January 1959, Lennon's Quarry Bank friends had left the group and he began studies at the Liverpool College of Art. The three guitarists, billing themselves at least three times as Johnny and the Moondogs, were playing rock and roll whenever they could find a drummer. In 
Lennon's art school friend Stuart Sutcliffe, who had recently sold one of his paintings and purchased a bass guitar, joined the band in 1960. And it was he who suggested changing the band's name to Beatles, spelled B-E-A-T-A-L-S, as a tribute to Buddy Holly and the Crickets. They used the name through May when they became the Silver Beatles, common spelling B-E-T-L-E-S, before undertaking a brief tour of Scotland as the backing group for pop singer and fellow Liverpoolian Johnny Gentle. By early July, they had changed their name once again to Silver Beatles, but Beatles now spelled B-E-A-T-L-E-S. And by the middle of August of that year, they shortened it to the now famous title, Beatles. Alan Williams, the Beatles' unofficial manager, arranged a residency for them in Hamburg, but lacking a full-time drummer, they auditioned and hired Pete Best in mid-August 1960. The band, now a five-piece, left four days later, contracted to club owner Bruno Kuschemitter for what would be a three-and-a-half-month residency. They pulled into Hamburg on August 17th at a time when the red light area comes to life. Flashing neon lights screamed out the various entertainments on offer, while scantily clad women sat unabashed in shop windows, waiting for business opportunities. Koschmitter had converted a couple of strip clubs in the district into music venues, and he initially placed the Beatles in the Indra Club. After closing the Indra Club due to noise complaints, he moved them to Kaiser Keller in October. When he learned they had been performing at the rival Top Ten Club in breach of their contract, he gave the band one month's termination notice and reported the underage, underage Harrison who had obtained permission to stay in Hamburg by lying to the German authorities about his age. The German authorities arranged for Harrison's deportation in late November. One week later, Koschmitter had McCartney and Best arrested for arson after they set fire to a tapestry on the wall in their room. The German authorities also deported them. Lennon returned to Liverpool in early December, while Sutcliffe remained in Hamburg through late February with his German fiancée, Astrid Kirchker, who took the first semi-professional photos of the Beatles. During the next two years, the Beatles were residents for a period in Bat Hamburg where they used pre-Doolin both recreationally and to maintain their energy through all-night performances. In 1961, 
during their second Hamburg engagement, Kirschker cut Sutcliffe's hair in the exi, or existentialist style, later adopted by the other Beatles. When Sutcliffe decided to leave the band early that year and resume his art studies in Germany, Paul McCartney took up the bass. Producer Bert Kempfert contracted what was now a four-piece group through June 1962, and he used them as Tony Sheridan's backing band on a series of recordings. After the Beatles completed their second Hamburg residency, they enjoyed increasing popularity in Liverpool with the growing Misery Beat movement. However, they were also growing tired of the monotony of numerous appearances at the same club night after night. In November 1961, during one of the group's frequent performances at the Cavern Club, they encountered Brian Epstein, a local record store owner and music columnist. He later recalled, I immediately liked what I heard. They were fresh and they were honest and they had what I thought was a sort of presence, a sort of star quality. Epstein courted the band over the next couple of months and they appointed him as their manager in 1962. After an early February audition, Decca Records rejected the band with this comment. Quote, Guitar groups are on their way out, Mr. Epstein. End of quote. Tragedy greeted them on their return to Germany in April, when a distraught Kirchiger met them at the airport with the news of their friend Sutcliffe's death the previous day from what would later be determined a brain hemorrhage. The following month, producer George Martin signed the Beatles to EMI's Parlophone label. Martin's first recording session with the Beatles took place at EMI's Abbey Road Studios in London on June 6, 1962. Martin immediately complained to Epstein about Best's poor drumming and suggested they use a session drummer in his place. Already contemplating Best's dismissal, the Beatles replaced him in mid-August with Ringo Starr, who left Rory Storm and the Hurricanes to join them. A September 4th session at EMI yielded a recording of Love Me Do, featuring Star on the drums. But a dissatisfied Martin hired drummer Andy White for the band's third session a week later, which produced recordings of Love Me Do, Please Please Me, and P.S. I Love You. Martin initially selected the star versions of Love Me Do for the band's first single, though subsequent repressings featured the white version with Ringo Starr on tambourine. 
released in early October, Love Me Do peaked at number 17 on the record retailer chart. Their television debut came later that month with a live performance on the regional news program People and Places. A studio session in late November yielded another recording of Please Please Me, which which Martin accurately predicted. You've just made your first number one. In December 1962, the Beatles concluded their fifth and final Hamburg residency. By 1963, they had agreed that all four band members would contribute vocals to their albums, including Ringo Starr, despite his restricted vocal range, to validate his standing in the group. Lennon and McCartney had established a songwriting partnership, and as the band's success grew, their dominant collaboration limited Harrison's opportunities as a lead vocalist. Epstein, in an effort to maximize the Beatles' commercial potential, encouraged them to adopt a professional approach to performing. John Lennon recalled him saying, Look, if you really want to get in these bigger places, you're going to have to change. Stop eating on stage. Stop swearing. Stop smoking. John Lennon said, We used to dress how we liked, on and off the stage. He'd tell us that jeans were not particularly smart and we could possibly manage to wear a set of proper trousers once in a while. But he didn't want us to suddenly be looking square. He had let us have our own sense of individuality. On February 11, 1963, the Beatles recorded 10 songs during a single studio session for their debut LP, Please Please Me. The album was supplemented by the four tracks already released on their first two singles. After the moderate success of Love Me Do, Please Please Me met with a more emphatic reception. Released in January 1963, two months ahead of the album of the same name, the song reached number one on every chart in London except Record Retailer, where it stalled at number two. Recalling how the Beatles rushed to deliver a debut album, bashing out Please Please Me in a day. All music's writers commented, Decades after its release, the album still sounds fresh, precisely because of its intense origins. Lennon said little thought went into the composition at the time. He and McCartney were just writing songs a la Everly Brothers, a la Buddy Holly, pop songs with no more thought of them than that, just to create a sound. And the words were almost irrelevant. 
Released in March 1963, the album initiated a run during which 11 of their 12 studio albums released in the United Kingdom through 1970 reached number one. The band's third single, From Me to You, came out in April and was also a chart-topping hit, starting an almost unbroken string of 17 British number one singles for the Beatles, including all but one of the 18 they released over the next six years. Issued in August, the band's fourth single, She Loves You, achieved the fastest sales of any record in the UK up to that time, selling three quarters of a million copies in under four weeks. It became their first single to sell a million copies and remained the biggest selling record in the UK until 1978, when Mole of Kintyre by McCartney's post-Beatles band Wings surpassed it in sales. Their commercial success brought increased media exposure, to which the Beatles responded with an irrelevant and comical attitude that defined the expectations of pop musicians at the time, inspiring even more interest. As their popularity spread, a frenzy adulation of the group took hold, greeted with riotous enthusiasm by screaming fans. The press dubbed the phenomenon Beatlemania. In late October... The Beatles began a five-day tour of Sweden, their first time abroad since the final Hamburg engagement of December 1962. On their return to the UK on October 31st, according to Lewishan, several hundred screaming fans greeted them in heavy rain at Heathrow Airport. Around 50 to 100 journalists and photographers as well as representatives from the BBC, also joined the airport reception, the first of more than 100 such events. The next day, the the band began its fourth tour of Britain within nine months, this one scheduled for six weeks. In mid-November, as Beatlemania intensified, Police resorted to using high-pressure water hoses to control the crowd before a concert in Plymouth. Please Please Me maintained the top position on the record retailer chart for 30 weeks, only to be displaced by its follow-up with The Beatles, the release of which EMI delayed until sales of Please Please Me had subsided. Recorded between July and October, the Beatles made better use of studio production techniques than its predecessor. It held the top spot for 21 weeks, with a chart life of 40 weeks. It was described the LP as a sequel of the highest order, one that betters the original. The album caught the attention of music critics of the Times, who suggested that Lennon and McCartney were the outstanding English composers 
1963. The newspaper published a series of articles in which Mann offered detailed analysis of the music, leading its respectability. With the Beatles became the second album in the UK chart history to sell a million copies, a figure previously reached only by the 1958 South Pacific soundtrack. When writing the sleeve notes for the album, the band's press officer, Tony Barrow, used the superlative The Fabulous Foursome, which the media widely adapted as The Fab Four. EMI's American subsidiary, Capitol Records, hindered the Beatles' releases in the United States for more than a year by initially declining to issue their music, including their first three singles. Concurrent negotiations with the independent U.S. labels VJ and Swan led to the release of the songs in 1963, but legal issues with the royalties and publishing rights proved an obstacle to the successful marketing of the group in the U.S. American chart success began after Epstein arranged for a $40,000 U.S. marketing campaign and secured the support of disc jockey Carol James, who first played the band's records in mid-December 1963. Late that same month, the Beatles were introduced in the Tidewater area of Virginia by Gene Loving of radio station WGH. AM, accompanied by a full marketing campaign, including Beatles shirt giveaways. Within days, almost every other song played on the station was a Beatles recording. It was not until the end of the first week of January 1964 that their records were played in New York City, also accompanied by a major marketing campaign and with similar play frequency. And then the rest of the country, initiating their music spread across the U.S. radio. This caused an increase in demand, leading Capitol Records to rush release I Want to Hold Your Hand later that month. Issued on December 26, 1963, with the band's previously scheduled debut, there were just weeks away. I Want to Hold Your Hand sold a million copies, becoming a number one hit in the U.S. by mid-January. On February 7, 1964, the Beatles left the United Kingdom with an estimated 4,000 fans gathered at Heathrow, waving and screaming as the aircraft took off. Upon landing at New York's John F. Kennedy Airport, an uproarious crowd estimated at 3,000 people greeted them. 
They gave their first live U.S. television performance two days later on The Ed Sullivan Show, watched by approximately 73 million viewers in over 23 million households, or 34% of the American population. Their biographer writes that, according to the Nelson Rating Service, it was the largest audience that had ever been recorded for an American television program. The next morning, the Beatles awoke to a negative critical consensus in the U.S. But a day later, their first U.S. concert saw Beatlemania erupt at the Washington Coliseum. Back in New York the following day, the Beatles met with another strong reception during two shows at Carnegie Hall. The band then flew to Florida and appeared on the weekly Ed Sullivan show a second time before another 70 million viewers before returning to the UK on February 22nd. Capitol Records' lack of interest throughout 1963 had not gone unnoticed, and a competitor, United Artist Records, encouraged their film division to offer the group a three-motion-picture deal, primarily for the commercial potential of the soundtracks. Directed by Richard Lester, A Hard Day's Night involved the band for six weeks in March through April 1964, as they played themselves in a mock documentary. The film premiered in London and New York in July and August, respectively, and was an international success, with some critics drawing comparisons with the Marx Brothers. The accompanying soundtrack album, A Hard Day's Night, saw them truly coming into their own as a band. All of the disparate influences on their first two albums had coalesced into a bright, joyous, original sound filled with ringing guitars and irresistible melodies. That ringing guitar sound was primarily the product of George Harrison's 12-string electric Rickenbacker, a prototype given to him by the manufacturer which made its debut on the record. During the week of April 4, 1964, the Beatles held 12 positions on the Billboard's Hot 100 Singles chart, including the top five. Their popularity generated unprecedented interest in British music, and a number of other UK acts subsequently made their own American debuts, successfully touring over the next three years in what was termed the British Invasion. Their hairstyle, unusually long for the era, and mocked by many adults, became an emblem of rebellion 
to the burgeoning youth culture. Touring internationally in June and July, the Beatles staged 37 shows over 27 days in Denmark and the Netherlands, Hong Kong, Australia, and New Zealand. In August, they returned to the U.S. with a 30-concert tour of 23 cities, generating intense interest once again. The month-long tour attracted between 10,000 and 20,000 fans to each of the 30-minute performances in cities from San Francisco to New York. In August, a journalist arranged for the Beatles to meet Bob Dylan. Visiting the band in their New York hotel suite, Dylan introduced them to marijuana. The musical and cultural significance of this meeting, before which the musicians' respective fan bases were perceived as inhibiting two separate subcultural worlds, Dylan's audience of college kids with artistic or intellectual leanings, a dawning political and social idealism, and a mildly, mildly bohemian style contrasted with the Beatles fan base. Veritable teeny boppers, kids in high school or grade school whose lives were totally wrapped up in the commercialized popular culture of television, radio, pop records, fan magazines, and teen fashion. They, the Beatles were seen as idolaters, not idealists. Within six months of the meeting, Lennon would be making records on which he openly imitated Dylan's nasal drone, brittle strum, and introspective vocal persona. Within a year, Dylan also would proceed with the help of a five-piece group and a Fender Stratocaster electric car to shake the monkey of folk authenticity permanently off his back. The distinction between the folk and rock audiences would have nearly evaporated, and the group's audiences was showing signs of growing up. According to their biographer, Beatles for Sale, the Beatles' fourth studio LP, evidenced a growing conflict between the commercial pressures of their global success and their creative ambitions. They had intended the album, recorded between August and October 1964, to continue the format established by A Hard Day's Night, which unlike the group's first two LPs, contained only original songs. The band had nearly exhausted their backlog of songs on the previous album, however, and given the challenge constant international touring posed to their songwriting efforts, Lennon admitted, material is becoming a hell of a problem. As a result, six covers from their extensive repertoire were chosen to complete the album, 
released in early December, its eight original compositions stood out, demonstrating the growing maturity of the Lennon-McCartney songwriting partnership. In early 1965, while they were his guests for dinner, Lennon and Harrison's dentist secretly added LSD to their coffee. Yes, their dentist. Lennon described the experience. It was just terrifying, but it was fantastic. I was pretty stunned for a month or two. He and Harrison subsequently became regular users of the drug, joined by Ringo Starr on at least one occasion. Paul McCartney was initially reluctant to try it, but eventually did so in late 1966. He became the first Beatle to discuss LSD publicly, declaring in a magazine interview that it opened my eyes and made me a better, more honest, more tolerant member of society. Controversy erupted in June 1965 when Queen Elizabeth II appointed all four Beatles members of the Order of the British Empire after Prime Minister Harold Wilson nominated them for the award. In protest, the honor was at that time primarily bestowed upon military veterans and civic leaders. Some conservative members of the Order of the British Empire recipients return their own insignias. Released in July, the Beatles' second film, Help, was again directed by Lester. Described as mainly a relentless spoof of Bond, James Bond, it inspired a mixed response among both reviewers and the band. Paul McCartney said, Help was great, but it wasn't our film. We were sort of guest stars. It was fun, but basically, as an idea for a film, it was a bit wrong. The soundtrack was dominated by Lennon, who wrote and sang lead on most of its songs, including the two singles Help and Ticket to Ride. The accompanying album the group's fifth studio LP contained all original material save for two covers, Act Naturally and Dizzy Miss Lizzie. They were the last covers the band would include on an album, with the exception of Let It Be's brief rendition of the traditional Liverpool, Liverpool folk song Maggie May. The band expanded their use of vocal overdubs on help and incorporated classical instruments into some arrangements, notably a string quartet on the pop ballad Yesterday. Composed by McCartney, Yesterday would inspire the most recorded cover versions of any song ever written.
The group's third U.S. tour opened with a performance before a world record crowd of 55,600 people at New York Shea Stadium on August 15, 1965. Perhaps the most famous of all Beatles concerts. A further nine successful concerts followed in one another American cities. At a show in Atlanta, the Beatles gave one of the first live performances ever to make use of a foldback system of onstage monitor speakers. Towards the end of the tour, they were granted an audience with Elvis Presley, a foundational musical influence on the band, who invited them to his home in Beverly Hills. In mid-October 1965, the Beatles entered the recording studio. For the first time when making an album, they had an extended period without any other major commitments. Released in December, Rubber Soul has been hailed by critics as a major step forward in the maturity and complexity of the band's music. Their thematic reach was beginning to expand as they embraced deeper aspects of romance and philosophy. Biographers Pete Brown and Steve Gaines attributed the new musical direction to the Beatles' now habitual use of marijuana, an assertion confirmed by the band. Lennon referred to it as the pot album, and Ringo Starr said, Grass was really influential in a lot of our changes, especially with the writers. And because they were writing different material, we were playing differently. After the movie's help foray into the world of classical music with flutes and strings, George Harrison's introduction of a sitar on the song Norwegian Wood marked a further progression outside the traditional boundaries of popular music. As their lyrics grew more artful, fans began to study them for deeper meaning. Of the song Norwegian Wood, John Lennon commented, I was trying to be sophisticated in writing about an affair, but in such a smokescreen way that you couldn't tell. While many of Rubber Soul's most notable songs were the product of Lennon and McCartney collaborative songwriting, it also featured distinct compositions from each, though they continued to share official credit. The song In My Life, of which each later claimed lead authorship, is considered a highlight of the entire Lennon-McCartney catalog. George Harrison called Rubber Soul his favorite album, and Ringo Starr referred to it as the departure record. McCartney has said, We had our cute period, and now it was time to expand. However, recording engineer Norman Smith later stated that the studio sessions revealed signs of growing conflict within the group and the clash between John and Paul was becoming obvious. And he wrote, As far as Paul was concerned, George could do no right 
In 2003, Rolling Stone ranked Rubber Soul fifth among the 500 greatest albums of all time. It is described as one of the classic folk rock records. In June 1966, Yesterday and Today, one of the compilation albums created by Capitol Records for the U.S. market caused an uproar with its cover, which portrayed a grinning Beatles dressed in butcher's overalls accompanied by raw meat and mutilated plastic baby dolls. It was suggested that this was meant as a satirical response to the way Capitol had butchered the U.S. versions of their albums. Thousands of copies of the LP had a new cover pasted over the original. An unpeeled first state copy of that album fetched $10,500 in a December 2005 auction. In England, meanwhile, George Harrison met sitar maestro Ravi Shankar, who agreed to train him on the instrument. During a tour of the Philippines, the month after the Yesterday and Today Freer, the Beatles unintentionally snubbed the nation's first lady, Imelda Marcos, who had expected them to attend a breakfast reception at the presidential palace. When presented with the invitation, Epstein politely declined on the band members' behalf. It had never been his policy to accept such official invitations. They soon found out that the Marcos regime was unaccustomed to taking no for an answer. The resulting riots endangered the group and they escaped the country with quite some difficulty. Immediately afterwards, the band members visited India for the first time. Almost as soon as they returned home, the Beatles faced a fierce backlash from U.S. religious and social conservatives, as well as the Ku Klux Klan, over a comment Lennon had made in March interview with British reporter Maureen Cleave. Christianity will go, Lennon had said. It will vanish and shrink. I needn't argue about that. I am right and I will be proved right. We're more popular than Jesus now. I don't know which will go first, rock and roll or Christianity. Jesus was all right, but his disciples were thick and ordinary. It's them twisting it that ruins it for me. The comment went virtually unnoticed in England, but when U.S. teenage fan magazine Datebook printed it five months later on the eve of the group's U.S. August tour it sparked a controversy with Christians in the American Bible Belt the Vatican issued a protest and bans on Beatle records were imposed by Spanish and Dutch stations and South Africa's National Broadcasting Service 
Epstein accused Datebook of taking Lennon's word out of context. At a press conference, Lennon pointed out, If I had said television was more popular than Jesus, I might have gotten away with it. Lennon claimed that he was referring to how other people viewed their success, but at the prompting of reporters, he concluded, If you want me to apologize, if that will make you happy, then okay, I'm sorry. As preparations were made for the U.S. tour, the Beatles knew that their music would hardly be heard. Having originally used Vox AC30 amplifiers, they later acquired more powerful 100-watt amplifiers, specially designed by Vox, for them as they moved into larger venues in 1964. But these were still inadequate. Struggling to compete with the volume of sound generated by screaming fans, the band had grown increasingly bored with the routine of performing live. Recognizing that their shows were no longer about the music, they decided to make the August tour their last. Your journey is now ending. You are now leaving the Sapphire Planet. Goodbye from the Sapphire Planet. Own a piece of the planet. Now you can purchase Sapphire Planet merchandise online at sapphireplanet.com.